When he allows it, he allows it because he has a reason, and his reasons are always consistent with his character, which means they are good and wise and loving and kind, even if in the midst of it, you don't see that. But that conviction about God's sovereignty is stabilizing and and comforting for us. And it's what leads us then to turn to God in Mm -hmm. our grief. You're listening to Make and Multiply, a podcast devoted to equipping the members of Emmaus Road Church to make and multiply disciples of Jesus Christ in the city of Sioux Falls. The people of Emmaus Road are committed to regular rhythms of gathering and scattering. We gather corporately in worship on Sunday mornings. We gather in missional communities and discipleship huddles, and we scatter throughout our city where we want to give every resident of Sioux Falls repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Hello, everybody. You're listening to another episode of Make and Multiply. My name is Matt Grun. I'm one of the pastors at Emmaus Road Church, and I'm joined this this morning with my dear friend Ryan Chase, one of the other pastors at Emmaus. And uh, this morning, we are going to jump into a counseling topic. Um, I think part of the Christian life is needing counsel. In, in the book of Proverbs, Solomon, the teacher, says to his sons, get wisdom, get understanding that because he knows life is coming and life comes at us fast and we need to learn how to think and react and diagnose our sin throughout life's trials and throughout our life's journey. So, uh, and Ryan is our preeminent (laughs) pastoral counselor who uh, you just have been so helpful to me in all helping think through things like, uh, like today, our topic today, grief. Um, I, I remember as we were preparing to go to the pastor's college um, this summer, there was a summer reading list that we had to do. And one of those was CJ Mahaney's book, uh, Humility. And in that book, he describes um, grief. And he, he talks about if you haven't experienced any real, prolonged, intense suffering or grief, you just haven't lived long enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's true for all people. Um, grief is just a part of life this side of, of heaven and, and this side of Eden, really. Yeah. Um, and so, Ryan, bring us into the counseling room. Um, first of all, as if someone comes to you, um, <clears throat> let's say they fill out a form, why do you want to meet? And they say, they just put the, t- the word grief down. Mm-hmm. What are some categories in your mind as you think about what, what is that word, maybe some biblical categories for it, mm-hmm. um, and so forth. So as somebody comes into your counseling room, um, saying, I'm struggling with grief. How do you go? How, mm. what, what, what are your first steps? Yeah. A few broad categories that have helped me, one, understand what's going on within my own soul as mm. well as what's going on inside of those around me is just the observation that God has made us uh, with the capacity to feel emotions, mm. to feel deeply. That's important. And, that's an important start. Yeah. yeah. It, that, that's a God-given thing. Yeah. And that our emotions are a lot like the the pain receptor or the touch receptor of the soul. So you know, physical touch, basically there are two kinds, pleasure and pain. Yeah. And our emotions are similar. We, we can think of those in terms of pleasure and pain or positive and negative emotions. And then within the the positive emotions, there are a range of ways to describe those. And really what we're describing is what kind of evokes those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, likewise with negative emotions. And so grief is obviously a negative, distressing emotion, but it's a it's a pain receptor of the soul. Mm-hmm. And so it, it says something about what 
a soul is experiencing. And then there are details outside of that in the surrounding circumstances, what, what's causing that pain. But grief really is that distressing emotion that we feel in our inner person when we lose something that yeah. we value. Yeah. Uh, it has to do with loss. Um, oftentimes we associate it with the loss of a loved one to death. That's a huge area of grief, but loss comes in a lot of forms. Mm. We can, there's the loss of dreams and hopes and plans, uh, the loss of a job. Anytime there's, there's loss, there's some kind of sadness, sorrow, uh, affliction that, that goes with that. So I think I've maybe mentioned this before, but, uh, Mike Emlett, I don't know if this is original to him, but he talks about thinking of everybody in three categories, sinner, sufferer, and saint. Mm -hmm. That's a helpful grid as well. And that, that sufferer category, when somebody is describing grief, that's the category they're in. They Mm -hmm. are suffering something. Obviously more questions would be needed to gather information to know what exactly are they suffering. And the details vary, but what's interesting is, um, the experience or the feeling is, is very similar. And so you know, we lost a son mm. at the age of three who had medical complications and we didn't expect him to live long. That's very different than somebody who loses an elderly parent mm. um, that they have a whole lifetime of shared memories with. And yet grief is grief and that yeah. pain, you, you find that you can relate to people who have lost someone or something. So um, yeah, we're dealing with in grief with that whole realm of loss. Yeah. And so that's so that's a helpful way to put it. Like at the end of the day, grief is the response we have to losing something we value. Um, and whether that is a person that we love dearly, mm-hmm. whether that's a job or a situation or a dream that you once had, or because I mean, in the, the suffering of uh, like, let's say a miscarriage or an early, like a child when they're, when they're little, mm-hmm. it's not just the death of, or the, the, yeah. the grief of losing that person, their presence, but Correct. losing all the hopes and dreams that we as dads have had for them or parents that have had for them. Of, That's right. As soon as you find out you're pregnant, you've, you've played out their life. Yeah. And you can't help it. Man, I remember, I remember when we were in the, um, uh, when we were in the ultrasound room and found out that Adeline, that we were having a, our daughter, our, we we're having a daughter. I just thought, I'm going to walk her down the yeah, aisle someday. <laughs> just way like, down the road. Holy cow. And yeah. and the import of all that, now losing that, you don't just lose the presence of somebody, you lose all of that. Right. Um, and that is deep, deep grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we experienced that with our twins. So mm-hmm. first in that ultrasound, when we found out we were having twins, twin boys, same thing. You know, In my mind, I'm thinking, oh, wow, I'm... I'm not just going to be coaching one son in soccer. I'm going to be coaching two at the same time. Oh, and, man. You know, playing out all of that. And then as we found out that there were complications, that um, they had club feet, that, you know, all of these things, gradually we learned more and more, more and more dreams started to die. Like, yeah. okay, so their lives are not going to look like this. It might be more like this, or or we don't know what it's going to look like. And so with each dream that dies, there's an experience of grief, even if you haven't lost someone. And so, um, it's even possible to experience like what some have called anticipatory grief, Mm. the sadness you feel just that, you know, a loss is coming. Uh, there are circumstances where 
somebody's approaching the end of life or whatever the case may be, the writing is on the wall and you, you know that this season of my life is coming to an end yeah. and, and you start to feel grief even before you've experienced that loss. Um, you know, th- those, that category of sinner, sufferer, saint is also helpful because when we're dealing with grief, grief is not necessarily due to our own sin. Uh, it, it may be caused by the sin of others against us and we can experience loss because somebody has taken something. Yeah. They, they they sinned against us, so it gets complicated in a hurry. Where th- there's loss, but then also potential bitterness towards somebody who sinned against you. Uh, but then a lot of our losses do just to tragedies and accidents. Um, illness yeah. is another cause of some of those things that can limit physical capabilities and quality of life stuff. Um, our own sin can be the cause mm. of affliction as well. Our sin can land us in a mess where we lose right. something. And it's lamentable. And it's yeah. lamentable. And so then we're dealing with both the, the grief of that loss as well as the guilt of our own sin. And so that's where it, it's important in dealing with particular loss to, uh, I, I think, do that with somebody who can skillfully apply God's word to those areas, discern the details of a situation and what's going on mm. in our hearts. But John 11, when Jesus yeah. raises Lazarus from the dead, is such a critical passage, I think, for understanding grief. Just the fact that, one, Jesus allowed Lazarus to die because he gets word that he's sick and he waits before he goes off. Critical piece of the text. And it's because he loves Lazarus that he waits, the text says. Um, So he has in mind a display of his glory for Lazarus and his sisters and everybody else, the disciples of Jesus, that is going to be better than hurrying off to heal Lazarus so that he doesn't die. He's going to raise him from the dead. Jesus already knows that. He has that in mind. He hints at that when he's talking to Lazarus' sister saying, you know, didn't I tell you, if you believe you would see the glory of God. But when Jesus goes to the tomb, there's that poignant verse, you know, it's famous as the shortest verse in all of scripture that just says, Jesus wept. Mm -hmm. And that validates human grief. Mm -hmm. It, it, It shows us even Jesus who is the resurrection and the life. That's what he says right there. It's in that context that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And and yet that hope of resurrection doesn't just erase the real pain of death and loss. He He's able to weep there at Lazarus's tomb um, because death is lamentable and it is grievous and it causes real pain. Yeah. So you know, we speculate about what, what's everything going on in the mind and heart of Jesus as he's weeping. What are the things that cause yeah. him pain? But because he's fully God, we know that it's, God's heart is grieved by sin and by death and, and the misery that that brings. So I think Jesus weeping there validates for us that it's, it really is natural to feel something is off yeah. when, when we lose and I just, as you say, speculate about what Jesus was thinking. I'm sure part of that human emotion that he's experiencing is this. I mean, what what is what has brought death? Death came through the, to the world through one man, mm-hmm. through through sin. He's looking at his people, his mm-hmm. beloved people, his image bearers, and they have brought this upon themselves. And he has entered into that, taken on flesh, and now dwells amongst all of that and is experiencing it with them. And it's important, as we said at the beginning, that this is a God-made thing, these emotions, because they are part and parcel with being image bearers. To be, right. to be in the image of God means to share with him in his, 
God is a God experiences emotions, not in the same way we do, but he does, the, the text all describes about how his anger and his love and his joy and, and yeah. his grief, God's grief. And so Jesus here is experiencing what really the diagnosis of, of such how deep the problem is. Not that he didn't know that, but it's an experiential thing to experience the results of the fall, which in its final form is death. And then also to recognize what he was about to do to overcome this thing. Because right. remember that it is Christ has conquered the grave. That's what we sing every Easter. That's what we that is the heart of our of the message we 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 love, the gospel. And yet it was a battle. Christ did have to do something. Yeah. He actually had to suffer in order to destroy that which we all suffer with. Yeah. So that now because remember, Lazarus was raised from the dead as a picture of, of the coming resurrection yeah. that we don't experience yet. Lazarus died again. He, he's not amongst us today. He, he was brought to life for a purpose and then died again. And we all die as well. So there is this, we will experience, we do have hope, mm-hmm. but there is a, an, uh, a now reality right. of, of the suffering that death still brings. Yeah, and I think that's crucial for anybody who's going through grief and loss, because it just acknowledges the reality of how God has made the world. We are mm-hmm. finite creatures who exist in time and space. So it's kind of like being a character in a story and we live one page at a time. Yeah. And you know, when you're on page 78 and you haven't yet gotten to the end, that's still coming. Mm-hmm. And yet you are where you are and you can only be where you are. And so future hope and the promises that we have about the future are a source of comfort and security and assurance for us in the middle of our affliction. But it's not, you know, it would be a misapplication to say, well, since we have these promises, then we just smile and pretend like everything's fine and we are stoic and unaffected by these realities. You know, Jesus at the, the tomb of Lazarus is that picture that as he enters time and takes on a finite body, infinite God, as a fully man, um, he's walking through the story. Mm. Lazarus is not yet raised from the dead. That's coming, but he's responding appropriately in that moment to that that reality. And, and that's how we live life. Yeah. So we, you, you can only be where you are in the story. The future is coming. That should inform how we grieve, right. but it doesn't erase the fact that we do grieve. That's good. So, so Ryan, just taking this another step then, um, we, we've talked about kind of Grief is a response to the loss of something. I want, I want to think through a little bit, help us. What are some common temptations in our grief mm. that we might be tempted to, to think or feel or believe in the midst of it? Because if grief is just that, you know, that deep sense of, of loss that we feel when we do lose something, I think all of us would acknowledge that there are there's layers to that. Right. Um, there are recognizing that something caused this event and ultimately who's behind all of it. So we're wrestling with ideas of the sovereignty of God. And then how are we to react? How are we to respond? Like in our grief, you've, you've written an, an incredible article, one that's gotten probably a lot of traffic for a lot of different reasons mm-hmm. for desiring God. And I would encourage everybody to go read it. Why we can't grief. Wow. We can't grieve however we want mm-hmm. um, from uh, February of 2019 in, in desiring God. And I think, that's helpful because I think in that you diagnose some of the temptations we might be tempted towards in our grief. Because how often is that trope given? You know, nobody can tell you how to grieve. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the way I've heard it said, kind of the pop psychology um, 
counsel for people who are grieving is there is no wrong way to grieve. Mm. And I think the intention there is just to tell people, you know, it's normal to grieve. It's okay to express that grief. You don't have to stuff those feelings. You don't have to bury it. There's truth in there, but I think that statement, there is no wrong way to grieve. That's how I've heard it said to people who are going through, have suffered some tragedy or loss. Um, That statement is just kind of this carte blanche for sin, really. Mm. It, It says, so long as you are expressing grief, you can't do anything wrong. Mm. And and that's not true. <laughs> it, right. It, you could still sin. And you can't just say, well, I'm grieving, therefore everybody give me a pass. Mm-hmm. It's okay for me to react this way. And so to distinguish there between, okay, what happened, circumstances are what they are. What am I feeling? It's normal to feel pain. You know, mm-hmm. if you stub your toe, if you hit your thumb with a hammer, totally normal to feel pain. When you f- experience loss, it's totally normal that you're, inner person experiences all of this angst and turmoil and distress and sadness. That's normal. But to separate out what we're feeling from, what am I going to do with that? Mm. How am I going to respond? How am I going to express that? We still remain morally responsible humans made in the image of God, responsible to God. So we can't just express our grief however we want to. Uh, It is possible in grief to act in bitterness and anger Mm. Remember talking with somebody who uh, had a, a coworker who had lost a son years and years ago, and this person said he is just a deeply bitter person every day, and the bitterness comes out. It's just it like oozes out towards mm. everybody. Yeah, anybody that he comes in contact with, it just he just kind of seeps bitterness. And when you dig down, you realize, wow, he really did experience loss, and you can express sympathy for that loss, but his response to that actually sinning against other people Mm. in his everyday life um, by being rude and short and, you know, impatient, all of those things, it it can come out in in sinful ways. And saying, I'm grieving is not an an excuse. It doesn't atone for our sin. Um, I I think the response of isolation, withdrawing Mm. from people or uh, abandoning certain responsibilities, um, withdrawing from God-given responsibilities, the temptation to medicate and kind of numb the pain of loss by turning to whether it's substances or, um, replacing just with other idols, anything to distract us and and try to take away the pain. It's just important to be mindful. Um, what we're feeling that pain, it really is uncomfortable, unwanted, Mm -hmm. and we want the pain to stop how we express that matters. And that should be informed by God's word. And I think I think you would agree that the, the convictions needed in to do that well, right? To to respond well, which we're going to get to in a minute. But the convictions to do that are not best settled on in the midst of grief. Yeah, right. It, it's one hundred percent. The storm is not the time to repair the boat or to build the boat. Yeah. You want to build in harbor. You want to build and and shore up in the protection of the calm seas and in mm-hmm. so. Ideally, yes. I, ideally, <laughs> uh, but of course there are circumstances when you you must act. But that I think that's just so important that mm-hmm. that that C.J. Mahaney quote of like if you just if you haven't experienced that intense suffering yet, it's yet it, it is coming because mm-hmm. we live in such a world and you just need to keep living and just recognizing you're not going to live forever. 
your wife isn't going to live yeah. forever. Your parents aren't going to live right. forever. Nobody is going to live forever. And there is a, we can, we need to settle those convictions before we get out into the grief because otherwise we're going to be overwhelmed by wave after wave after wave yeah. of grief. And, and so I guess, and I would just add to that, there is hope if you're in the middle of grief and yes. you realize I did not have firm convictions established. Mm. I don't have any anchor. You're not hopeless and adrift. You can tether yourself to these anchors and promises yes. that God gives. The counsel is aimed at those. If you're not grieving right now, the temptation is to think, well, this doesn't apply to me because right. life is fine and I don't have any big losses. And the, the I think, wise counsel is, well, this would be the time to shore up your conviction about God and his sovereignty and yes. his goodness and his promises so that when loss comes, uh, you, ha you have that anchor yeah. already established. It's good. So Ryan, help us then now. What are the, what is that anchor? What, what are the, the sure holds that keep our feet on solid ground? The, that keep, as the psalmist says, that keeps our feet steady. Um, mm. What are in the midst of, what do we need to be convicted of now that will serve us to stay Godward in our grief mm. when it, when it comes to us? Yeah. Uh, I think at the root, um, one of the, the most helpful, most um, stabilizing truths is the sovereignty of God. Mm. So Greg preached recently, Psalm that 115. That feels very, that feels odd that you would start there, <laughs> right? I mean, just naturally, right? When we talk yeah. about emotions and grief, I think the prevailing thing we feel is out of control. Mm -hmm. Something, our life, our emotions, whatever the circumstances whatever happened, happened outside of our control. And it's my, my responses feel out of control and everything just feels out of control. So you would turn to the sovereignty of God yeah. as a starting point. Yeah. It just feels so counterintuitive, <laughs> which I think is the point. <laughs> yeah. Right. Because when the reality is, um, in times of suffering and loss, we really are aware of how out of control we are. Yeah. We need something stable and God is he himself is that anchor for us. He is the source of comfort for us. And so knowing that we have an all-wise, all-loving, perfectly good, powerful, sovereign God hmm. who reigns over everything, uh, that stabilizes us. And the temptation is to, one, to doubt that question, is God really wise? Is he actually good? Does he really love me when tragedy strikes. Um, or the other response I see is some people that they, they do believe God is sovereign, but then that turns into thinking really hard thoughts about mm -hmm. God, embittered thoughts. Like, well, I, I know that God is sovereign and he's doing this to me. He is afflicting me. Um, but they, what they're missing is the wisdom of God. So I, I think the sovereignty of God is the broad umbrella, but we have to remember the character of God who is sovereign. He is wise and loving. And yes. I think when you hold those two things together, then then you realize his sovereignty is not just some cruel, impersonal fatalism. Mm. We're not fatalists who believe that this impersonal force has predetermined everything that happens. We are Christians. We believe that the sovereign God of the universe is our loving father mm. in heaven and that he filters everything through his wisdom and his love. And if you trust that, then you trust that he knows what he's doing mm -hmm. when he allows suffering in our lives. You, yeah. you trust that when he allows it, he allows it because he has a reason and his reasons are always consistent with his character, which means they are good and wise and loving and kind. Even if in the midst of it, 
you don't see that. Yeah. But that conviction about God's sovereignty is stabilizing yeah. and, and comforting for us. And it, it, it's what leads us then to turn to God in mm-hmm. our grief. Um, you know, the reason I don't necessarily start with lament as the first point is because lament is expressing our grief toward God. And in order to express our grief toward God, we have to believe that he's there and right. that he hears and that he does see and he does care and he is in control. And when you believe that, th- then you pour out your heart to him and you express your grief toward God. So our grief begins with God in a lot of ways, meaning both his sovereignty mm-hmm. and his character, mm-hmm. his sovereignty. And yes, he is working all things, all things, and he's working them for our good. Yeah. Those two convictions are critical because it, it, our aim here is in our grief is not to get God off the hook. Right. Our aim is not to say, well, God didn't, you know, this is nothing to do with this. He had nothing to do with this. This was just a, 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 an act of, a, or an accident of the universe. Yeah. That would be to deny a reality of who God is. So, and critical. It, Sorry, it's tempting ahead. because it's um, it it feels like like you said getting God off the hook, so it defends God, gets him out of trouble. Um, but actually, uh, you think about how distressing that is as a sufferer. Mm. If you believe that tragedy strikes you outside of God's control, where you know God allows these things, but He allows them kind of like a, a goalkeeper who allowed a goal, like right. he's he's diving to stop it, but it just. You know, snuck past him. Snuck past him by inches. If if you believe that, that there are things that strike you and God didn't want it to happen, he tried to stop it and it just got by him, that's terrifying because... Yeah. What any, else could happen? What else yeah. might happen? Exactly. exactly. And, and so having those convictions about who God is then will inform how we, where we take our grief, mm-hmm. how we walk through it and how... And I think, as for me, I think one of the best places to go is wondering, how am I to grieve? You already said it would be lament, would be yeah. the Psalms of lament, or the mm-hmm. book of Job, or yep. uh, where, or lamentations, where these spirit-inspired authors grieve yeah. all that is happening to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently preached on Psalm 13, where David is lamenting mm-hmm. his situation. He's lamenting the... Um, his enemies seem to be impressing on him and, and taking over and they are laughing at him and his God. Mm-hmm. And he is experiencing real suffering and he is asking God how long. And so it's not so much grief, but rather lament of, of turning to God and, and asking the one who's in control, do something. Yeah. Um, and so many of the laments, we have just rich resources in God's word, point this out all the time, of 150 psalms, 50 of them, uh, one third of the psalms are classified as laments, hmm. and they are expressing grief toward God. And th- that's the distinct feature of lament, is that it's it's an expression of grief, but it's not just you know pounding the wall or punching a pillow or screaming at the ceiling or whatever. It, it's expressing the inner turmoil of our souls toward God in prayer. And what we see is oftentimes that expression of grief toward God comes out in questions Mm -hmm. because when you're suffering, you you don't feel like you see the answer or what you see, you you feel this disconnect between what you're seeing and experiencing and what you believe to be true by faith in God's promises. And, And so you expect God to act, but it doesn't look like he's acting. So you ask questions like, how long? Yeah. Will you forget me forever? Right. Will you be silent forever? Why do you turn your face from me? Yes. Which, which is so, David, that is, a, that is a plea of David in almost all of his laments is he, 
he is asking, why God have you turned away from me? Mm. Um, because what he's implying there is it, lo- it feels as if you have turned your face yeah. of blessing away from me. Yeah. And I now the result is he feels alone. He feels abandoned. He feels, how long must I stay in this place of isolation? And throughout, he is not, he, he, he knows theologically God has not left him. Which is what provokes the question. Exactly. Because because that's his conviction, mm-hmm. because he knows that to be true, his belief and conviction is out of step with his his experience, his emotions, which which he's trying to reconcile yeah. the two by going to God with those things. Right. Um, I think that's the key. Yeah. Th- that when our circumstances seem out of sync with what we're trusting by faith, then we express that faith to God, which is an expression of our longing for God to fulfill his promises, which is an expression of faith. I I just think that's um, so freeing and helpful to understand. It's okay Mm -hmm. to pour out those questions and to ask God, do this, do what you have promised to do. And and I'm not seeing it at the moment, but I'm bringing this to you because I I do trust you. Yeah. So in our grief, we need to remember who God is and his character, his sovereignty, and his goodness, and that he is working all things mm-hmm. for our good. But I think there's one, especially when we talk about the when we talk about grief as far as death, that there is an ultimate hope. Not just that God is sovereign and that he is good, but he has actually acted mm-hmm. in order to give us real, tangible right. hope. Um, so, so walk us through that. What is our hope, I guess, as, as Christians? Yeah. Well, in first Thessalonians four 13, Paul writes, we do not want you to be uninformed brothers about those who are asleep that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. Mm. One, you just notice right away, Paul's talking about those who are asleep. What, what does that mean? Well, for the Christian, because Jesus has been raised from the dead and we have been given this promise that we will also be raised from the dead. Paul can talk about death as sleep because it is as easy for God to raise the dead as it is for you to go wake up somebody who is asleep. So yeah. death feels so permanent to us. You bury somebody in the ground and you go visit that gravesite. It just feels so permanent. And yet as Christians, it is not hard at all for God to raise the dead. So Paul is writing to people who have lost loved ones. And he says, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are asleep, Mm -hmm. which means there is information. You can be informed by truth that God has revealed, which will give you hope as you grieve. Mm -hmm. And so he, he draws this distinction between those who grieve without hope and the way Christians should grieve, which is with hope. He doesn't say the distinctions between those who grieve and those who don't grieve, it's grieving with hope or grieving without hope. Yeah. So it, it, it's still appropriate to grieve. It's, it's okay to feel sorrow and pain at loss, uh, but that grief is informed by hope. And the hope that we have is the promises of God and ultimately the promise of resurrection. Yeah. Uh, Jay Adams uh, says about death, death used to be the sole province of the pastor. Today, Undertakers, social workers, and psychologists have all come flooding in to take over his territory. The Christian minister must not allow them to crowd him out. He has the message of eternal life, which in the hours of dying is so vital Mm. that there is the, the, the greatest hope for those dying or those who are feeling left by the one who has died is that 
there is hope in the resurrection. Mm-hmm. Um, R. Kent Hughes, another pastor, he described it, it. Grief is like it's like looking death in the face, not turning away, not acting like it's not there, but looking death right in the face in all of its earthy finality, but rejoicing in the reality that death has not had the final word. Yeah. Um, there is a reality of death and there also prevailing reality of, and it's been defeated mm-hmm. by Christ who has, who also experienced death yeah. and who was also raised because he was raised in a body physically. Therefore we have hope. That's, right. um, that's just, those words that Jesus gives to the stuff, the, the mourners uh, at Lazarus's tomb, where he just says to them, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. That's right. Do you believe it? Yes. <laughs> that's the, yeah, that's I, the question. I love that he asks, he ends with that question yes. and the appropriate response. We should, you know, catechize our hearts to respond. Yes, Lord, I believe. Yes. Um, yeah, I think we'd be remiss to talk about grief without mentioning Isaiah 53, three through four. He yes. was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Again, yeah. that validates mm. our experience as finite creatures in a fallen world where grief and sorrow are realities. And we have a God who has not left us there or just, you know, he doesn't just pat us on the head in a patronizing way and say, just, you know, just trust me. He actually steps into it. Mm. He was himself a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs Mm. and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. So in his suffering, he bore all of our griefs and our sorrows. And he overcomes sin and death and the grave and the devil. And so we have hope in him. And we can, you know, our, our motivation to turn to God, the, the way Paul talks in 2 Corinthians 1, he specifically calls God, listen to this, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Mm. To know that God is described as the God of all comfort, not just some comfort or here's a little token comfort, but he, he is the God of all comfort. If What do we need when we're grieving? We need comfort. That, that's the thing we need yeah. the most. And God himself is the source of that. And then verse four, Paul says, who comforts us in all our affliction. Mm. The God of all comfort comforts us in all of our affliction. So whatever affliction you're going through, none of it's too big or too small to say like, well, this doesn't apply for me or you know, this is probably too minor for God to be bothered with or probably too big for him to handle. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Yeah. There's a lot of comfort going on in that passage. <laughs> a lot of comfort. But the, the way that God intends for that to work is as we experience God's comfort, we realize, oh, this is real. He, mm-hmm. he actually comforts our souls and gives us hope in our affliction. So now as I walk alongside other people who are struggling and suffering, I, I can be a tangible source of God's comfort to that person because of the comfort I've experienced from God. And so God means for us to experience this, not just in an abstract way, but actually through the body of Christ. And so I think staying connected to spiritual community, gospel yes. community through grief is a crucial part of experiencing yes. God's comfort. And that, I think, as always, there's more to be said. And I think that would be a category, maybe if we return to this someday of, of another category of how to walk along yeah. those who yeah. are grieving. Um, that'd be a, a great future episode idea. <laughs> That's right. Well, Thank you, Ryan. For, for, as somebody who has suffered immensely, uh, to hear you 
walk us through that is just so edifying for me and hopefully for the people of our yeah, church so. that we do have a God of all comfort and he has comforted us in Christ that's and right. in his work. So that's enough. Till yeah. next time. Thanks for listening to Make and Multiply. If you have questions about anything related to discipleship huddles or missional communities or gospel fluency, you can reach out to your missional community leader. And if you're not yet plugged into gospel community at Emmaus Road, visit us online at EmmausRoadSF.com.